said that heavy metal by synthesizers. Ah, uh, you can't play heavy metal with synthesizers. Welcome to episode 84 of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. Now this week, I gave Matt the week off. I told him to just relax, take a trip or something. And what I did is I brought in, maybe my, well, I don't know, because Andrew's pretty dang popular now. What used to be my most popular (laughs) co-host, also my most reclusive co-host, the Kiwi in Southern New Zealand, James Fraser. How you doing, sir? G'day, mate. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Do Do you think so? Do you think that uh, you think Andrew might have surpassed you in popularity now? I would certainly hope so. He does a far better job. So I'm a big Andrew fan. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Now, so while Andrew was he was schooling us last week about all the intricate details surrounding the Battle of Britain. I flipped the cassette over on Somewhere in Time so we could get into the loneliness of the long-distance runner. Now, let me ask you this question. Back in the day, I'm sure you had the cassettes, right? Or did you have? Did you use vinyl, or did you listen to cassettes or both? I had all three. So that the very the very first compact disc I ever bought was Somewhere in Time. Cool. Um, horrendously expensive. <laughs> but I had the vinyl, and I had cassette as well. What did you listen to most? Well, because CDs were probably, what, 90, 1990, 89, somewhere in there? Yeah, I got it. I certainly got it after the album was released. Like, it was probably about 1987, I want to say. I know the album came out the year before that, but I think got the CD in 87. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, what do you think is easier, to flip a cassette, to flip an album, or to play the CD? <laughs> Well, for me, the hardest thing of all was to to play the CD because I didn't have a CD player. Uh, my eldest mm. sister, who was like five years older than me, yeah. she had the only CD player in the house, and uh. I had to sneak into her room to play it. And if she caught me, I was in some serious <laughs> trouble. So, right. So for me, the easiest thing was cassette because I had a very cheap little, not Sony Walkman, but little clone Walkman, some yeah. cheap thing that my parents got for me. So yeah. that was my my listening device of choice as a very young lad. Okay, now I know, unlike the number of the beast, there's nothing on here that you have to skip when you <laughs> flip when you flip the album over. So when you were listening to the album, did, was there anything on somewhere in time that you felt you need to skip? No, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 well, no, for very very different reasons. I wasn't scared of the song, but you know, I, I was never really a fan of Heaven Can Wait. So often I would just kind of skip over that a little bit, a little bit of fast forward action. Yes, yes, yes. Um, now, getting back to last week's episode with with uh, Andrew, what did you think of it? What did you think of uh, the story that he brought us? That was great. I, I love those Somewhere Back in Time episodes. You and Andrew do such a great job. Um, I, I know quite a bit about World War II. Um, it's in most Commonwealth countries, and I'm sure it's the same in the States as well. And other parts of Europe, as, as well as the UK, World War II has affected so many of the lives of our, you know, the sort of two or three generations before us. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So it's a really hugely important, influential part of history. Um, so I'd read a fair bit about the Battle of Britain, um, but Andrew, as always, managed to introduce some some pearls that I had no knowledge about. Oh, um, oh. The most interesting one for me was that Winston Churchill's famous audio uh, that's played before Aces High at live gigs isn't actually the original recording of it. I was very surprised by that. Yeah. I didn't know that he re-recorded them later on. It makes me wonder because part of the appeal of Churchill as a character is what a great orator he was and his delivery is amazing. I just wonder how many takes he did. <laughs> so when I'd heard it previously, I'd always thought, you know, that's how he said it. Can you yeah. imagine how stirring it was to, right. to hear that in Parliament or be gathered around the radiogram, uh, you know, across the UK, knowing you're going into a, a pretty serious oh, yeah. uh, period of, of, of warfare. And to hear that delivered that way must have been incredibly moving. So it kind of takes a bit of the gloss off it, to be honest. But who knows? Maybe the original recording was actually better. Yeah. But yeah, a little part of me thinks, oh, maybe he did 10 takes. You know, <laughs> the, maybe it's the equivalent of using auto-tune with pop stars today. Maybe they just <laughs> keep going in the recording studio to get it absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just, the thing that surprised me the most was that Churchill's speech, I thought it was recorded in uh, Long Beach Arena. So I just, I, <laughs> that really threw me for a loop. <laughs> that, that, that's your American education, right? You guys are pretty special. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. James, do you know what time it is now? I do, Steve. It's time for a little bit of audience participation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So this is where we thank the people that shared last week's episode. And that's what I'm going to do right now. Uh, the first person that shared it was somebody named the Mountain of Apes. And based on... There's no anything telling me where this person is from, but looking at the writing, it looks to be maybe Swedish. So I'm assuming that this guy's from Sweden. I'm sure if he's listening, if you do listen, sir, and I'm wrong, please message me. Uh, Papa Luis in Venezuela, he shared. Uh, Take Flight 24 in Balerica, Massachusetts. Reggie Oz. Who, who's not too far from you? Well, maybe. In Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Do, do you, how do you feel about my Melbourne uh, word? Do you feel like I'm saying it right? Because it's, Matt- pr- it's pretty it's pretty good, mate. You're not saying Melbourne. Yeah. It's just Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I got schooled on that by Matt. Because it took me a while, and finally he said, it's Melbourne, like Melbourne. I was like, okay, Melbourne, Melbourne. And it, okay, cool. Nice. <laughs> uh, also, the Liverpool Scousers, Stephanie Jane Gray and Don McIntyre, the Scousers themselves, Kirsty Prince in Perth, Australia. So who would be closer to you, uh, Melbourne or Perth? Perth would be farther away, right? Am I right? Oh, uh, yeah. Melbourne's much, much closer. Perth's okay. a long way from everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Feckin' Metal podcast in Ireland shared it. 
Sean DeHaan in Vancouver, Canada shared it. Alan Bell in England. The Metal Chat Podcast with Melissa in Boston, Massachusetts. Paul, who is also in Boston, Massachusetts. Alejandra in Italy. Now also, the man himself, the weekend warrior, Georgie's dad, Sonia's husband, the headmaster, Lord Andrew of Sussex shared it. I mean, he brought it and he shared it. So he did he, he did a little double duty there. Nice. Uh, Eric Gole in Sh- Charleston, South Carolina. I was about to say Charleston for some reason. <laughs> it's that American education coming back. Uh, <laughs> and the gentleman on the phone with me, James Fraser in New Zealand. What do you think about that guy? Yeah, he's all right. Overrated. <laughs> uh, and last but certainly not least, the Sassanac in Falkirk, Scotland, UK, my buddy Andy. So from my heart to you, thank you very much to everyone who shared. Now, just in case this is your first episode to hear of my podcast, or if you haven't heard any of the other Somewhere in Time episodes, Caught Somewhere in Time, Wasted Years in Sea of Madness, Heaven Can Wait, what we're doing here is I've got seven different people, and we are going and discussing each song. The people you are going to hear first here in just one second is going to be Matt, who lives in Kansas City, but is from Perth, Australia, and Kirsty, who is from England, but lives in Perth, Australia. Following them will be Andy, who lives in Scotland, and Alan, who lives in England. Andy was originally from England, and Alan was originally from Scotland. And after that, you will hear Paul, who lives in California, and Mark, who lives in Austin, Texas. And following that, you will hear Sean, who lives in Vancouver. So that's just a quick rundown on who you will be hearing, just in case you haven't heard any of these episodes yet. And if you haven't heard them, go back to the start. Episode one, we go a lot more into detail as far as who everybody is and why they're paired together, which I just kind of said it. But it gives you an idea of where everybody came in on this album when they first heard it, things like that. So I hope you enjoy. Here we go with Matt and Kirsty. I can say this because I can actually remember doing this now. We're going to flip the cassette over, mm. go to side two, which is The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner is song one from side two. So uh, I guess this will be my turn to say something first. I love the intro. I believe this is a, uh, I don't know if this is a Dave, this isn't a Dave Murray, right? I think this is a solo Steve, right? But Steve, yeah. Yeah, but it's, I like the intro. It's slow. It's got the nice little guitar line. And then, of course, this is the third song to where it starts a little slower and then it just completely goes ballistic when the when the lines kick in. It's the pace of the song. Um, I, I said that the pace is similar to Caught Somewhere in Time. I don't really love the verses. I don't love the way he sings them, but I really, really like the chorus, you know, where run on and on and all that. Um, 
the dual leads that come after the chorus, you know, I love all that. And then uh, the part where it goes into the, where it slows down, where the, you know, they play that part and then the drums are like, and then it's like that. I know I just keep singing all these parts because I'm just thinking it in my head, but the music in this song, I kind of rank this song in my head a little higher than I actually think I rank it. Because the music in this song is incredible. I, when I listen, like you listen to this song, it's it's kind of, it makes me realize how much I love just, and this is something that me and Matt have talked about, about um, like the red and the black. I don't always maybe love the song as much, but the musical parts of it without the singing and everything are just incredible. So um, let's see here. I lo- like I said, I like that, the part where they go into the slower part. Um Musically, this song is just what makes me love it so much. Um, I like the part where he comes back in and he says, I've got to keep running the course. I've got to keep running and win at all costs. I like that part as well. That's awesome. And I like Adrian's soloing on this song a lot too. So, But I, I really, really like the music on this song if I haven't said that too many times. <laughs> but for me, yeah, for me, I love it. And outside of that, I don't know. I'm going in circles. So, Matt, what do you think of the loneliness of the long-distance runner? This is a go-to for me. Uh, so it, I thought it was funny that you mentioned Red and the Black because when I was listening to this earlier, it kind of reminded me of that musically a little bit, like that second half where mm-hmm. you know it, there's less vocals to it all and you just get into the music, and that's one of the things that I like. Um, but yeah, I've liked this right from day dot listening to this. Uh, like you said, it's got that nice little half-paced intro, but then the music just bursts into like a sprint. Um, mm-hmm. I like Bruce's vocals in this. The only problem that I kind of had is it's very wordy. There's a lot kind of going on. And I put a note here. It's like he's trying to run his own race and keeping <laughs> up with getting all the words out. You know, there's so much going on within the verses. It's almost like the chorus is his chance to take a breath. You know, where usually it's the other way around. You'll get through your verses and then lean yeah. lean up for your, for your chorus. But it's not like that for this. But musically, this has got everything that I love about a Maiden song or Maiden in general. I like the pace of it. You know, it's got a pretty quick pace. The guitar harmony, is, it's just melody after melody. The solos in this are awesome. Um, one of the things I did like after this, uh, sorry, that I did like about this, is the drumming again. So I think that, on yeah. all the Maiden albums, I think Nico is pretty good on this. There's not lots of fills. You're not just trying to fill in things or drum rolls and stuff like that. And it stands out. It's a little bit more like less is more is something that I've noticed on this this album, which I liked. Um, so one thing I, I kind of found interesting as far as this, it, they only ever played it live once is what I believe. And then it got dropped. Yes. And I don't know if maybe that was because of the lyrics, not the lyrics, sorry, just the or the vocal delivery that's needed in general. Sure. Because uh, I listened to it on a bootleg, and it's hard to hear all the you know, Bruce singing. I could get the music, and it doesn't really seem anything wrong with the music because it's an awesome song. Like, this is one of the standout songs on the album for me. Um, yeah. So I just never really understood why they didn't play it live more. I think it's a bit of a disappointment from that that fact, but I think this kind of cleanses the palate from Heaven Can Wait. 
And it's a good start. Yeah, Second side sure. of the, the the cassette or the album, whatever it was that you were listening to back in the day. So no, this is this is top notch. Well, I wanted to add this. They have played this song one time, like you said. So it's the one hundred and nineteenth most played song, which is dead bottom one time. Um, so the song right above it at 118, which has been played two times, they have sang happy birthday to you more times than they have played the loneliness <laughs> of the long distance runner. <laughs> so I want to say, how bad do you think this went down to never play it again? You gave it one try and then yeah, it's yeah. just over and done with. Also another song tied for it with one play ever is women in uniform. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, exactly. That's fair enough. Yeah, oh, right. You know, oh, okay. No, uh, 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 no, Matt, Matt, Matt. This, this, I wouldn't y- like to hear it now with the modern band. Back in the day, maybe. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. yeah, maybe with maybe with Paul Diano, yeah. but yeah. So, Kirsty, what do you think about the loneliness of the long distance runner? Well, I didn't really like this when I first got the album. Um, I thought it was really boring. I'd have skipped it if it wasn't on cassette. And um, <laughs> do you know the band, the Pet Shop Boys? Did they make it outside of the UK? I've heard of them. So yeah. I heard a song called It's a Sin, and I thought this the intro was like a rip-off of that song. Huh. But don't worry, I was wrong, because um, I got the album. It had already been out for nine months. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a sin actually came out. I mean, this came out before it's a sin. They didn't rip anything off. And <laughs> I can see now it's far from boring. It's got lots of different musical ideas. Great instrumental section. It's only about six minutes long. Um, yeah. I really like the bit from I've Got to Keep Running and Adrian Solo. And um, uh-huh. did you know, Steve, it's based on a book? <laughs> um, I don't. I might have heard that at some point. I think there is. I think I do remember hearing that there was a book called that. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Same name. Same Matt, name. You Matt, you should have. Matt, you're Matt. You're supposed to have my back here. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have asked. Is this about a book? Because in this case, I actually knew. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I see how we go in here. But, but welcome <laughs> to my world. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I do want to add one thing about 
the first song on the album again, Caught Somewhere in Time. I'm sorry to go back to this, but mm-hmm. earlier today I was just I I got I was get I got up and I was kind of getting ready to do something and I started singing I started singing the song in my head and I, but I was singing it slow. I was like, if you had the time to lose. Mm-hmm. And just kind of singing it slower in my head and I was thinking of Bruce singing it slower and I thought I wonder if anyone's ever done a cover of Caught Somewhere in Time where they've sang it a little bit slower. Because I thought, I think that would sound really good. I just, in my head, I just kept, I was kind of singing the whole thing in my head. And I thought that would be really cool to hear it slower. So a tad, just a tad bit slower. So um, y'all can think on that and, and you go and in your mind, go, golly. Just, that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I probably could do that with a lot of songs. Sure. Sure. It, it, but there's a good chance that it has been done with so many of these um, covers you see on, on YouTube and Maiden songs done mm-hmm. in different styles, if it's like sort of classical styles or whatever, you know, there's it, a good chance that has been done, I would say. Yeah, I wanted to look, I wanted to look earlier and I just yeah. had a busy, I had a busy day and I never got to. So either way, I just thought it was, I just thought it was interesting. Um, uh, let's see. So the next song, song one on side two or side B is the loneliness of of the long distance runner. Um, Andy, Mm -hmm. if you will go into the loneliness of the long distance runner for us. Again, I think not a bad song, but it's, it's again, it's, it's a bit, it's it's not, it's not a classic for me. Um, Again, I just feel it's a bit, a bit, a little bit repetitive. It's not, Shoes along, so it's about, about six and a half minutes, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, six minutes, six, six and a half minutes. Six thirty-one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, it, it feels about about longer than that. It kind of drags me a bit. And um, I, I love the the idea of the song. Um, I've read a read a wee bit about it. About it's about a guy that was imprisoned and he was the, the base the the song on, and he had to you know he was running and it. To get his freedom, and then he he just chucked it, you know, through the race at the end. I like I like the lyrical content, and not so much the 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 song itself. That's what I said. I think it's 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 not a great song. It's not it's not one of the best on on this album. Um, look, I was reading from uh, Louise's book um, mm-hmm. that has only been played once. Song mm-hmm. song like. Uh, Played it on the first date of the summer on tour, um, and I've got a quote from that book actually. Steve Harris had said, "It was me that actually decided it wasn't all that good." So there you go. That comes from the man himself. <laughs> so, oh, um, wow. He said that in an interview for Krang in October 1986 for Sylvie Simmons of Krang, and it's uh, it's from Louise's discography of the Beast. Um, interesting, interesting. So there you go from the man himself. Now. Um, well, I, I wish I could write a song a tenth as good as that, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I can't write anything. But if he's decided it's, you know, at that time wasn't that great. Well, yeah, well, it, it's, it's only been played once. So I am going to uh, I'm going to give you all an interesting fact and then I'm going to tell you why I disagree with Mr. Harris. Well, I'll tell the uh, first of all. The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, one song that has been played more times live at an Iron Maiden show, apparently, (laughs) 
is happy birthday to you. <laughs> I'm looking at a list here and it's been happy birthday to you has been saying twice, apparently. Um, so also you got to take what Mr. Harris says with a grain of salt on this, uh, Andy, because this is the same guy that wanted to release the angel and the gambler as the lead single from his new album. So at one time, so He's Maybe. not always he's not always up to snuff on things, <laughs> but um, I'll say this for me on the loneliness of the long distance runner. I I think of it in my head, and I think that I love this song. Like I think, man, this song is so great. I love it. I love it. Um, it's got I love the intro of the song. It's got a really nice smooth lead line. Um, the guitar sounds awesome, and then this is another song. This is the third song on the album where it just goes from something something kind of, you know, nice and smooth to frenetic full throttle pace and like just a you know, as quick as you could snap your fingers. Um the thing that I don't like about this is it's another song with what Alan was talking about with the lyrics that are just you know, I don't like the way he sings it. You know, tough of the track with the wind and the rain that's beating down on your back. Your heart's beating loud and and goes on getting louder and goes on even more till the sound is ringing in your head with every step you tread and every breath you take. I mean, it's just, it's a lot, a lot of words. And musically, I like it. Um, but then the, you go here and there's there's not really much of a chorus. It's... It goes from the verses to run on and on, run on and on, the loneliness of the long distance runner. But after that part, I love the little the uh, little guitar thing, the dual guitar thing. You know the da na 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 na. There's a lot a lot of music in this song. In a way, it reminds me of the red and the black because there's a lot of the red and the black that I don't like. Which I like this song better than the red and the black probably. But musically, the song is incredible. Like you get, you know, there's just, it goes into another, you know, solo part where it's like, down, 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 the dual leads that they're doing are just really, really, really good. Um, I like that this song feels like it, the song feels like it kind of has a life of its own. And, Adrian soloing is good in this song too. So I like this song and I rank it. It sounds like I rank it better than you do, Andy, but either way, uh, what about you, Alan? What do you think of the loneliness of the long distance runner? Okay. Well, um, I think it's got, I like the intro. It's got a nice intro. I like the, um, I like the guitars and, uh, and the hi hat. It's, it's got a nice tone to it. Um, yeah. It's got some really good guitar solos in it, and uh, and it, I like the beat through it. It's got a good driving beat through the whole song. Yeah. Um, but there are there are aspects to it that I don't like. Um, there's some really awkward time changes in it. I feel like if you imagine the imagine the bit where it goes into the run on and on. So you've got the just prior to that, it ends it saying it seems so futile. And then it goes run on and on, but the time change between that is um, it's 
it's not it's not nice. So it goes seems so futile, and then almost instantly he goes seems so futile. Run on and on, and it's just mm-hmm. I just this sounds awkward to me. Doesn't mm-hmm. there's no flow, and I know I know Maiden are full. It's there've been time changes in all their songs yeah. from the year dot, but that is um, that is an awkward time change. Doesn't sound good. Um, okay. So, but apart from that, it's got it's a decent song. Uh, I just think I wonder why they didn't like playing it live because I think to to drop a song after one play is um, is pretty much unheard of because you can't you can't just say yeah it was a rubbish song so I stopped play- so we stopped playing it. You you obviously didn't go into that first show thinking it was a rubbish song, so something must have uh, not gelled with that song played in a in a live in a live format. And they must have thought, oh, this is not, this is, it must have come across so badly that for them to drop it after one play. I just, um, I was just thinking about it the other day, trying to think what, what it was that would have, why it would have not worked live. And I was sort of thinking it was, it was a combination of maybe the singing and the, uh, yeah, I think the singing predominantly. I think it, I think if you don't get it right, I think it would have sounded quite poor because there's a lot of inflection in that song and the singing, which you can work on in the in the studio. Like uh, it when he goes tough of the track, so he he sort of emphasizes the tough mm. with the wind. So there's a lot of emphasis on specific. Sure. I wonder how well that maybe came across live, just because uh, it is odd that you would drop a song after one go. So it must have really not worked well. Mm. But I like it. I like it better than Heaven Can Wait. That's for sure. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think the. I think they talked about it on Talking Maiden, and they might have even played the audio from some of it. And I think it just didn't come across well. It was really like you said, with all the things that Bruce had to do in the song vocally. I just think it didn't go over well. So that's probably. I'm guessing that's what it was because, like you said, they wrote the song. They, you know, Steve believed enough in it for them to record it for the album. So, mm. but yeah, okay. Yeah, Sorry, no, you go on. Go on. You know that that quote I said that Steve had decided it wasn't all that good. I mean, it, it, it could be just talking about the they tried it live and he decided it just just didn't work for some reason. Um, you know, you guys were talking about it there. Maybe just that it didn't didn't work for them live. Mm. Um, yeah. but I, I, I agree with Alan. It seems an odd decision to to drop it after one try. So there must have, there must have been something about it that they didn't didn't like or Steve didn't like when they tried it. Um, yeah, that's yeah, kind of what I would, that's kind of what I think too. So must have something something didn't quite gel with playing it.
flipping the cassette over, flipping the vinyl over, side two, side B, opens with the loneliness of the long distance runner. So, Paul, what do you think about the loneliness of the long distance runner? Well, it's the first song on my running playlist. <laughs> oh, so you're a runner. <laughs> That's okay. all I have to say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, when I, yeah, whenever I have the time. Uh, no. Uh, the slow guitar build uh, it adds fantastic atmosphere. Again, comparing this to another classic right next door with Seven Sun, uh, track five. I think what kills that song is the pace. Why do I love Maiden is because of the songs that get my blood pumping and endorphins racing. So I feel guitar-wise, there's more going on in loneliness that draws me in, whereas the first three minutes of Seven Sun are just chugging on the E chord while Bruce does tell an awesome story. And the last part of that song is just an extended solo. Yeah. It's still amazing, but I still prefer this song to that. Okay. I almost understand why they dropped this song after only one show, because from listening to that bootleg, it sounds like they just never got a handle on how to deliver it live. And I think it's a really hard song because of how fast the lyrics come yeah. out on it. Yeah, yeah. So, to leap praise at this song, I think if they made a music video for this, that intro guitar riff the do 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 yeah it kind of reminds me of like morning dew and mist falling yeah and then the crashing chords is like the sun coming up a great intro which constantly builds and then boom knocks you over the head into a quick verse i love the accent that adrian plays under the main chord yeah uh the main chorus chords, that arpeggiated lick, the do 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 Probably one of the coolest fills on a Maiden album. I think it's the only non-repetitive chorus on this album, because it just gets in, tells you what the chorus is, and then from there it just lets the guitar do the talking on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a little editing gripe, I think the bridge is slightly long, and so is the outro, but I love how with each riff, it kind of becomes more layered with each harmony of the guitar building on top yeah, of each other where it goes cool. And then the, the, that outro is great. Another unique solo by both Dave and Adrian. I think when they start soloing, it describes the point where you're running, where it's like, you're so tired, you're just about to give up, but your nerves just kick in yeah. and your muscles start to burn. And then that ending harmony is the end of the race, where if you know what it's about with that short story where the guy just throws the race, where he just stops before the finish line. Yeah. I think that's what it reminds me of. I did talk to a guy that, that is a runner, and he said that this song some, lyrically sums up very well the way you feel running long distances, so... Um, Mark, what do you think of the loneliness of the long distance runner? I think it's a great song. <clears throat> I, I like the intro. I love the way it, it, it comes in the, the way that, um, I guess it's Adrian playing that, that first intro. Is that right? Paul? Um, uh, with the intro, Adrian, yeah. Adrian plays the intro 
and Dave plays the crash chords. Okay. I love it. I mean, and the thing is, it, it, it kicks in really hard and this kind of thing. A criticism I have, and of course, this is just me, because I'm, try, I'm trying my hand at songwriting myself. It's been a long process. But one of the complaints I have about Maiden and some of the other bands is they'll do like that soft intro thing. It, it lulls you in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, bam, there's this wall of, <laughs> you know, guitars. And it's, 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 you know, basically punching you in the face right at that point with the rhythm. I kind of like it, you know, with other bands like Metallica, they're, they're kind of, they'll come out of the really, really soft and they'll get really, really soft and they'll come back up again. And they have a way to segue into that section that's much more effective, I think. Yeah. Maiden's not quite that way. And I think they, this song could have been made better. And of course, it would have made it longer, but I don't care. Because I love progressive songs. I like long songs. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. But if they could have, I think they could have did a better better segue on that part. Other than that, the song is solid. I love the dual leads. Yeah. Um, you know, Adrian and, and all of that from the, from beginning to end. Bruce Dickinson's lyrics are great. Um, so, yeah, it's probably it's all up there and caught somewhere in time. I would say at the same level as that song in, in uh, production quality as well as songwriting and on the whole the whole picture. And I do love the outro, as Paul mentioned. It's also really, really, really good. So this is a great song. I really like it. Good. One of the better on the album. Cool, cool. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, going back to Heaven Can Wait, is in Maiden history, only 11 songs have been played live more than Heaven Can Wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, What the heck is that? It's... Um, I don't know. What would you call that, Paul? <laughs> Just bad, cho- bad choice. <laughs> uh, I've heard someone at one point say that Maiden's worst crime is having bad taste in their own music. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to say it. Yeah, but that—that's always when I look at the list. When I pulled it up a while back, I looked at it and I was like, "You got to be kidding!" Heaven Can Wait is the number twelfth most played song ever by Iron Maiden. Wow. So, okay. So for me. I love the intro of the long of, of this song, the loneliness of the long distance runner. I love the intro, the lead line. Um, uh, let's see. One thing that y'all both mentioned was the way it's got the soft intro and then it just dives straight into everything. And if you think about it, heaven can wait. It's the same way. It's got a soft intro and then bam. And then caught somewhere in time is the same way. It's got a nice slower intro. And then just the, once it hits, it hits hard. Um, so that's three, we're at, we're at track number five at this point. So three of the first five songs all have that similar uh, that similar thing in common. The only two that don't do it at this point are because if you look if you look at it, um, this was written by Steve Harris by himself. Heaven Can Wait was written by I believe Steve Harris by himself. Caught Somewhere in Time was also, and the other two were written by Adrian. So so um, I don't love the verses. On this song, but I really because it's a little too quick, you know. And Bruce isn't really getting to sing, sing. He's just kind of taut on the track and the wind and the rain is beating down on your back. You know, it's kind of really fast paced, and I can imagine that that wouldn't go over well live. I have heard the the uh, version of it once, and I love the chorus, the way Bruce sings it because he really gets to sing. And then after the chorus, you know, that dual guitar line. That's awesome. And then 
that next part where the the drums come in and then it goes into that hey paul me me and you paul we should just do a full episode of me and you just singing iron maiden songs like this because we both do it a lot but um i'm down for it yeah i love these but i love these dual solos in this song i mean it is it's just it's awesome um this play, this song goes a lot of different places, and I really like everywhere it goes. Um, think the problem for me is just the verses. It's just that they're too. But for, for what the verses are not, the rest of the song totally makes up for it. It's it's one of those songs where I love the song. There's certain pieces I don't like as much, but the pieces that I love, I love so much. So I would not rank this. At this point on this album, if I was ranking the songs, I would probably put this. I don't want to tell y'all where y'all might get upset. Um, (laughs) I'll save that for the ending. There's there's your teaser. There's your teaser. Number five is the loneliness, and we're we're doing this like um, uh, what do they call it when you do a, like a fast round of something? The uh, lightning Deep round. <laughs> we're yeah, doing like the lightning it. round of this one. So, um, track number five is the loneliness of the long distance runner. How do you feel about that one? I like it. I like it. It um, stylistically reminds me of something off of Peace of Mind. Obviously a little more mature musically, if that makes any sense. Um, They only played it live a couple of times. And it's, you know, the the bootlegs of it are really rough, but it sounded okay, as best as you can tell. Um, It didn't sound like it didn't go over, but then again, they're in Eastern Block at the time. But um, according to the website website I'm on, it's only been played live one time. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, in Yugoslavia, I think it was. I've got the album. I just had it out the other day. Wow, um, a little long, maybe, but um, it's 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 good. Yeah, I think um, the thing that I, I think I don't really like the vocal delivery. You know, I think it's a little bit too fast and too, but but you know, like the chorus, you know, the the parts where I've got to keep running, I've got to keep running and win at all costs and all that. I mean, he sounds Bruce sounds great, and musically, I love. I think it's an incredible song musically. It reminds me a little bit of the red and the black because some of the earlier part of the song, even though the chorus, I like the chorus better in this song, but there's such great music behind it all. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. 
Well, there you have it. The loneliness of the long distance runner is in the books now. And next up is the last solo written Adrian Smith track that appears on any Iron Maiden album. And you, we talked just a tiny bit before we started recording and it, it is weird that that's the only one he had. Yeah. I was really surprised when you said that I was definitely not aware of that. You know, I don't know if, um, did, did you listen to when I did the story with Chris and he said that he had read an interview with Adrian around that time and Adrian even made the comment back then about having the three solo written tracks. And he said, that'll never happen again. Yeah. So he said that way back then. And it makes you wonder if maybe he knew the writing was on the wall for him to be out of the band sooner than later. Uh, Well, I, I think it's more, um, so Bruce, famously got burnt out on power slave tour right the world slavery tour yeah and so he had a bunch of ideas around acoustic material for somewhere in time and steve rejected it all right yeah and so bruce kind of said well okay stuff it i'm just gonna sit back and just be the singer so bruce didn't write anything on somewhere in time so i actually think um it's not so much adrian stopped writing lyrics and just Mm -hmm. stuck to music i think it's more that bruce started writing lyrics again i think if bruce had written if bruce had been in writing mode on summer in time i don't think we would have had any solo credits from adrian because bruce would have worked with him right that makes sense that makes sense as well this is why i like having you on man your 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 opinions are well thought out (laughs) so you know as as well thought out as they can be for a kiwi right (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly oh man all right so on behalf of myself on behalf of James, Kirsty, on behalf of Matt and Alan and Andy and Paul and Sean and Mark, the most hated man in podcast land. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I'm Maiden from Eddie and, of course, the boys. Yes. On behalf of all of them, good night.
For those of you that waited around just a little bit longer, you're in for a treat. First off, I have the Kiwi himself, James, here with me still, and he is going to give us his take on the loneliness of the long-distance runner. So, James, go ahead and tell me your thoughts on that song. Anything you think? Anything I think. Look, I I love loneliness of the long-distance runner. I think it's an absolutely fantastic song. Uh, I like the lyrics. I love the music, especially the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the lyrics are supposedly based on short story, Loneliness the Long Distance Runner, yeah. um, which is very good, by the way. If you haven't read it, you should. Uh, there was a movie made in the, I think it was in the 60s. I haven't seen the movie. I must watch it at some point, as I'm sure it's good as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the lyrics to the song seem to focus more on the long distance running rather than the plot of the book. There's little hints uh, in the lyrics towards the plot of the book, towards the end of the lyrics, towards the end of the song. Yeah. But mainly it's about what it's like to run long distance, to spend long periods of time with only yourself as company and what it's like as a long distance runner to control your mind and force yourself to keep going. And I really like that. It's really, really good lyrics. And the music is kick-ass. The, the second half um, of the song with the instrumental break is just brilliant stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's the mute, you know, the song doesn't get enough. It's, it's kind of underrated and it the, is. go ahead. When you think that they, they played, you know, heaven can wait on so many tours mm-hmm. and they didn't play this song. They got like a, a handful of plays on the summer and time tour, but yeah. then they keep bringing heaven can wait out of <laughs> retirement to play. Yeah. And, you know, the the crowd participation on that one is quite fun, but sure. it's not a great song. Loneliness is such a great song, and it, it, it deserves better treatment. I wonder if Bruce could sing it, because it seems like that's what I had heard, was that he struggled with it when they played it live, because there's just a lot yeah. going on. And, and you figure... You can only figure it, it had to either be that or or the maybe the way the audience responded... I don't know, yeah. but yeah, I love that yeah. song. I think it's a fantastic song. Yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorites on the album for sure. Yeah. And one reason I know that that song means something to you, and this is something that I've never at least seen you speak publicly about really. And you told me about it on the phone one night months and months and months ago. And I just remember being floored when you told me about it. I was just like, wow, this is incredible. You in your life, not currently, but in your when you were uh, when you were running in the past, <laughs> um, <laughs> you did some serious long distance running. So if if you will t- take me back to when did you ever first start kind of running and either enjoying it or thinking that you were going to do a little more with it? Well, I I grew up on a farm in deepest darkest rural New Zealand. And uh, I used to run everywhere to, like, if my if I was in the house and my mum said, hey, go get dad for dinner, I would run to get dad. So I'd run through the fields, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up running out of necessity. That's how I got around. Um, I never took running seriously at school. But when I got a little bit older and uh, I wanted to impress a, a girl who, who is now my wife, uh, the beautiful and wonderful Sarah. Uh, I I ran a half marathon and really enjoyed that, and then I ran a full marathon, 
Wait, and wait, wait. I really enjoyed that. You said mm-hmm. you did that to impress her? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> w- w- was she a runner as well? No, no, she wasn't. And okay, she isn't. okay. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, what can I do to impress this girl? Um, I couldn't think of anything because, yeah, I'm not that impressive. But I thought, wait, <laughs> if I run a half marathon, maybe it'll impress her. So it must have worked. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I did the half marathon, then I did a full marathon, and then I thought, okay, this running stuff is quite fun. What can I do next? So I made the step up to what's called ultra marathon running. Okay. And what exactly is an ultra marathon? So ultra marathons are anything that's over 42 kilometers. Okay. Um, so literally a step over 42 kilometers is an ultra marathon, but generally it's 50 kilometers or more. Um, wow. Most ultra marathons are a hundred kilometers to 160 kilometers. So around the hundred mile mark is for most ultra marathons, but what makes them much more interesting, much more enjoyable and much more challenging is that they generally, they run them in the mountains. Okay. So they tend to be off road. You know, most marathons will be 42 kilometers on, um, on the road or, you know, on tarmac. So for Americans, 42 kilometers is 26 miles, by the way. Um, So it's a reasonable distance. Whereas ultra marathons, they tend to be off-road, running in the mountains or on trails, through rivers, that kind of stuff. So the terrain is much more interesting. And you have a lot of what we call elevation gain. Okay. So uh, you might be doing, like one of the races I did was 100 miles, which is 160K, and it had over 10,000 meters of climb, oh, wow. um, which is in feet. I did this before. Thirty-two thousand feet uh, in elevation gain, and generally you start and finish in the same place. So if you're running 160 kilometers, 100 miles, and you're gaining thirty-two thousand feet, um, you're also going to go down thirty-two thousand feet as well. So by the time you've done that, your legs, your legs know that you've uh, you've been in a battle. Yeah, I imagine so. Golly, so. And when you're running this, it's not uh, like like you said, a hundred miles. So I'm going to go with that. You're running a hundred miles. How many times? Okay, first, how many times have you ever done that? Have you ever ran that kind of a distance? So I've done about seventy marathons. I've done about a dozen one hundred kilometer races, um, which is sixty two miles, and I've done two hundred mile races. Golly. And when you run a hundred miles, how, at what point do you stop and get a hotel and then start again the next day? <laughs> well, you, you start thinking about stopping in the hotel at about <laughs> 20, 20 kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then the fun begins where you need to use your mind to convince yourself that you should keep going. And that's, that's really the attraction of it. It's the phys- it's the personal challenge. Sure. The the running, yeah, you know, the running's good, but the mental challenge, the mental side of things, is is really what what keeps you coming back and keeps you going. It's a it's a huge challenge. Like some of these races, because they're so long, they go for multiple days, so you get sleep deprivation, sure. and you start hallucinating. Sometimes you can get severely dehydrated. Yeah, uh, you can do what's called bonking, which I'm sure uh, my Australian Kiwi friends will snigger at. But bonking is when you completely run out of energy. Yeah, so you need to uh, take on energy very quickly. So you can run out of salt. You can 
cramps. Are, there's lots of challenges, right. but the main challenge is mental. So if you're in the middle of the mountains and it's two o'clock in the morning, you may not see another human being for another six hours. I've had that experience. Oh, wow. So to keep yourself motivated and keep moving forward in those conditions when there's not even another person to talk to, um, that's that's pretty tough, but that's the appeal. That is insane. So uh, that's the thing I remember you telling me the most about was running through the mountains in the middle of the night and not seeing anybody for hours. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So lyrically, the loneliness of the long distance runner, how being that you've done that, how in tune do you think the lyrics are to what you actually go through as a runner? I think they're really in tune, actually. I don't know how, how long Steve has run, but uh, some of the lyrics, I'll just call out some of the lines here. Um, the miles, they never seem to end as if you're in a dream, not getting anywhere. It seems so futile. Mm -hmm. So when you're running a very long way, you have, you, like in a, in a 100 mile race, right? You might be running anywhere between 18 and 40 hours. You know, you could be running for almost two days oh, wow. um, with no sleep. You can stop and have a bite to eat. You can have a drink. But if you stop and sit down, you know, your body will completely cramp up. So yeah, there's a saying in ultra running called beware the chair. Uh -huh. Beware the chair. If you sit down in that chair, you're not going to get up again. You're going to fall asleep. Or when you stand up, your legs are going to be so stiff, you won't be able to move. Right. So beware sense. the chair means you just keep going. Yeah. Um, so there is there are times which could last for hours where you you literally feel like you're not getting anywhere and you're like why am I doing this and mm -hmm. every essence in your body and your mind is saying hey we should stop now mm. <laughs> we should go back to camp and get in our sleeping bag and go to sleep we should yeah. go and just just go to sleep in that chair over there right. or that support stop up here they've got a fire wouldn't it be nice to lie down beside that fire and go to sleep oh man. so you're constantly battling that and then you're battling well why am i doing this you start questioning why what's the point what am i proving i've already proven things i don't need to do this so the whole you're in a dream you're not getting anywhere everything is futile yeah I totally relate to that oh i can imagine so 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 you run, let's say you, you run this many miles and you get done. What, what is it like when you get done? When you, what, what do you, like, what is your next little process of, okay, I'm done. I crossed the finish line, whatever it is. I mean, do you immediately crash into a bed or do you go and you eat for three well, hours straight on, or what? Depends, it depends on the race. So one of the strangest things about ultra distance running is the way your body's metabolism and use of bodily fluid changes i promise mm -hmm. this isn't going to be too gross um <laughs> when you're running a very long way the the blood in your gut in your stomach it moves out of your stomach and it goes towards your muscles and your extremities so your legs and your arms mm -hmm. which means it's really hard for you to digest food so okay. as counterintuitive as it sounds the longer you run and the further you run the harder it is for you to eat so your body is desperately hungry yeah. But your stomach has no blood to, to actually do digestion. So it gets very hard to take on food. And it's very hard to keep your, your fluids up. So what that means is that a lot of runners, when they finish the race, they can have some pretty severe health problems. So uh, and the first time I encountered this was on um, in, in a 100, 160K, 100-mile 100 race in a place called Cromwell 
and uh, the South Island of New Zealand, which was a big mountain race, lots of mountains. Um, it was eight thousand meters of up, so it was it was it was really hard, but brilliant. Um, and at the end of that race, um, this is the first time I'd ever experienced that. They said, "Congratulations, you crossed the line. That's brilliant." You know, I I, I kissed the ground, I kissed the race director, <laughs> thanked deities of my choosing, all that kind of stuff. Felt elated, and then they took me over to a holding pen, which was a little fenced area. And they said, you now need to walk around in a circle for 15 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, are you serious? I've just run 160 kilometers. And they said, no, you need to do this so that we know you're okay. Sure. Because what they found is that people who weren't okay, they would finish the cross the finish line and they'd be really excited and they'd be full of energy. And then they'd go home and they'd go to sleep and they'd have, you know, they'd pass out or they'd be violently ill or they'd be shaking uncontrollably. Yeah. Because the adrenaline gets them over the line, but then their body totally shuts down. So they literally make you walk around in this little holding pen for 15 minutes. Yeah. And they're standing there watching you, making sure that you don't stop. Um, and they make, that 15 minutes makes the blood return to your stomach. It makes your head ah. uh, calm down. The adrenaline wears off, and then they know whether you're physically okay yeah. or whether you're going to need to be put on an, on an IV drip, for example. Interesting. One of the biggest dangers with ultra running is liver shutdown. Oh. Um, because you get so dehydrated. Um, and if you're taking anti-inflammatories, for example, yeah. um, your internal organs can actually shut down. So they make you walk around, which is the last thing you want to do after <laughs> running for two days. Yeah. Um, but they make you do it for your own for your own good. So, yeah. That's crazy. So It's pretty strange, but I can understand it. Oh, yeah. It does make sense. Uh, you explained it pretty good. Um, when, so when do you finally – okay, well, not that. So when you get done – when you when you do go and you sleep, at some point you're going to go and you're going to sleep. Are you able to sleep for an incredibly long amount of time, or is it just like you sleep six or eight hours and you wake up and you kind of do your thing? And or how how long do you sleep after that? That's weird. I'd sleep for I'd sleep for a very long time. So, um, I did a race in in France called Ultra Trail a Tour de Mont Blanc uh-huh. UTMB. Uh, it starts in France. You run through France. You run over the uh, the Alps. You run to Italy, and then you run to Switzerland, and then you run back to France. And after that one, I slept for probably about 12 hours. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And then you woke up for so, a few minutes and went back and slept another 12. <laughs> <laughs> then, I, then I woke up and, and walked like something out of a zombie movie. Oh, I bet. <laughs> for the next, the next week. Your feet end up in a pretty poor state, and you just everything is just so stiff and sore. Yeah, yeah. I, I know – I haven't done anything anywhere near that, but years ago, uh, me and Mark hiked a mountain in Colorado and it was a, it was a 14,000 or, and it was, you know, you're not starting at, at zero and working your way out. I mean, we started at like 9,000, but it's a lot of going up and steep different yeah. things. And it took us a long time. And I just remember <laughs> when we got home that day and getting up the next morning and it just, yeah, it, it felt like. And this isn't, I mean, you were doing two days. I did 16 hours. It just, mm. it wasn't just, just, I can remember, you know, your feet were killing you coming down the mountain at, at the end and getting up the next morning. And just, I remember just, just, yeah, you walking around, you felt like a 140 year old man, you know, just. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the big difference there is, is when you did your hike, you probably had a big pack on like a hiking bag. And you probably had food. I didn't have enough. You probably had. Yeah. You probably, but you, you know, if you were prepared, you I wasn't as prepared. <laughs> maybe a tent, and 
you know, you probably had like a vinyl record player and a stereo in your podcasting gear. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. When when you're definitely when when you go hiking on these trails, you tend to take a lot of stuff, and that stuff is all weight on your legs, and sure. it makes it much harder. One of the one of the other great things about ultra running on trails is that you can do a hike, a trail that might take three or four days, but you could do it in a handful of hours. Hmm. Um, the first mountain ultra run I did was in a place called uh, the Kepler Track in the South Island. Okay, beautiful place, and I'd done it as a kid with school, and it took us three days. And when I ran it, I did it in five hours. Hmm. So. You get to see some amazing places and some fantastic sites very, very quickly. Yeah. Which is great. So the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc again, um, that's a one to two week hike when people do it uh, with their families. Yeah. And we were doing it in, you know, 30, 36 hours type thing. So right. you get to see some incredible things and go to some really amazing remote places, but very quickly. So yeah, that's part of big part of the appeal as well. It'll be nice if I say this, this would probably be terrible. If they could invent some kind of a camera that they could somehow install in your head where your eyes are at. And so if you click your, you know, you could take pictures while you're running and look at things yeah. like you, cause you think of there's so many things you're seeing and you're doing it that quick. You're not going to have time to really stop and really, yeah. and, you know, enjoy the scenery and things. And if you could just, that'd be great. That's right. I must say, when I did the the UTMB, the one in France and Switzerland, Italy, I took a camera with me um, on my, my on my phone, right? Yeah. And I was a bit of a tourist, so because I'd never been to a a French Alpine village before, <laughs> at one point we ran through this beautiful little village, really remote. I don't even know the name of it now, and it was cobblestone streets. Oh wow! And the people looked like French farmers, right? So, <laughs> and, and there were people. This was like you know. 10 o'clock at night yeah and people were, were, were chanting allay 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 which is go in french uh-huh. and uh just this beautiful little village with you know, little wrinkled old ladies who are dressed like french peasants from 1840 so i had the camera out taking photos of people that's funny and at another part of the same race the next day we were in the middle of the alps and we came across we heard these bells uh-huh. and we come around a corner past some trees and there's a herd of cows with bells around them you know the, the cowbells yeah yeah, the, yeah literal cowbells oh, yeah not, not just like the, the saturday night live skit yeah and and there were all these cows in a field near the top of a mountain with bells on their necks yeah and it was just the most charming beautiful moment that's really so neat. You, yeah so you so see you do stop and you you know you, you take these things in because yes it's a race and, and yes you've trained for a long time to get in them but at the end of the day it's about the experience yeah so yeah, yeah. i feel i kind of feel sorry for the guys who go who just worry about, you know, am I first, second, or third? Uh, when I would, when I used to do this running, I was like, look where I am. I'll just stop and say, I cannot believe I'm on top of a mountain. My left foot is in France and my right foot is in Italy. That's cool. <laughs> just moments like that. It's just brilliant. That's really neat. That's really neat. Do any of your kids sh- seem to have any kind of desire to run the way you did? No. No, unfortunately not. So my son Ryan, um, when when I did Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, the whole family traveled to Europe. Okay. And they had a junior UTMB, and he went in that. But you know, it was like a one kilometer run. It was just a fun thing. Right. He really enjoyed that, and he got some cool mementos from it. But no, neither of them have the bug. Um, Ryan Ryan's very good at rock climbing. That's his sport. He did a bit of fencing. Oh, cool. Um, 
inspired by Bruce. Actually. Sure. <laughs> um, but Bethany is, she's not a sporty girl. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Well, James, I, I, I appreciate you sharing all of that because that's, that's, like I said, I remember you telling me that and I just remember that. That just blows me away to think I didn't know that they had hundred mile races at all. So I just remember that night. I still remember I was, I was at work and I was driving to Oklahoma that night. And I remember, I can almost remember about where I was when you were telling me all that. And I remember just thinking like my jaw was just dropped. I was just like, wow, this is incredible. But, but seriously, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, mate. Catch you later. Cheers. That's all, folks.